This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey friends, Cami here. First of all, so many of you have bought tickets to my upcoming book tour that a bunch of dates are sold out, but there are still, as of right now, I think seven tickets left in Philadelphia for the second show. There's also seating still available for Los Angeles and Brooklyn and Boston and San Francisco and Portland. Will you please sell out all of those shows? Or hey, if you don't live in those cities, but you just want the book, you can go to saveyourselfbook.com and pre-order the book. Oh, also, for tickets, cameronesposito.com slash tour. Okay, today on the podcast, we have a chat with Sage Jones, who is a poet, a former buzz feeder, and also whose recent memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives, is a bestseller and receiving a ton of attention and... For good reason, I love this conversation. Please enjoy. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always have folks introduce themselves on the podcast. Will you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Saeed Jones, and I'm a writer. You are a writer. Um, you're having a pretty big moment as a writer. I mean, at least I would say that's my outside perception is that things are really yeah. happening and uh, you had a very successful book launch. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old um, and I feel that uh, basically almost all of my uh, dreams as a kid in terms of, because I knew I always wanted to be a writer, all of my dreams have come true. You know what I mean? Short, short of, you know, the Nobel people calling me up, like in the middle of our conversation. <laughs> like, I'm good. <laughs> I can't believe you're going to get off the phone with me for Nobel. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> um, tell me when, I'm trying to think of, I mean, you're the one that would know, but um, your book is called How We Fight for Our Lives. And mm. when did it actually release? Uh, so it, uh, the hardcover launch was in October um, of 2019, which feels like it was just a few days ago, but also feels like it's a long time ago. Like, yeah, wild. Yeah. And the, I mean, again, this is just from the outside, but it feels like the book is, it's just getting an enormous um, reception. Did you, how did you think it would land? Like prior to October? Oh, uh, that's a great question um, because I took a long time to write it. I, I mean, in, in some ways, I worked on the book for maybe ten years in total, um, and, and and almost almost five years from the time I sold it um, to when it came out. So I thought about it a lot. Um, I was you can't take anything for granted. Um, you know, of course, I was first worried about my family if it would be, you know upsetting to them. I, I was worried that, you know, I told the truth as best I could. And, you know, everybody doesn't like the truth. Everybody doesn't want that. And so my first anxiety was that it was like, just going to blow up my life. 
Um, and when I realized that that was not happening, that my family supported and, and read the book, um, I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then, and then very quickly, you know, I have, you know, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, as you are, and and I don't know if you have this experience, but a cool thing now is that when you create stuff, people can reach out to you. Um, so pretty quickly, people started saying like, hey, thank you, you know. And even today, I was I was like looking at my Twitter DMs, and people are just like, I finished the book last night. Um, and it meant a lot to me. And then they'll tell me why. So I think pretty quickly I was fortunate enough to start getting that kind of feedback, um, which to me felt like anything else that happens, um, I know that I fulfilled my like intention with this book. You know, did you have you gotten that that kind of response previously like that, like people reaching out? This means a lot to me. Um, uh, you're important not- to me for this reason. Uh, you know, Prelude to Bruise, my poetry collection came out in 2014 and people like it and it was, you know, supported. But, you know, poetry, it's just a whole different scale. You know what I mean? In terms of the, the number of people you're able to reach. So, yeah, I mean, people, you know, I think think positively of my work, but this was just like being introduced to a whole nother um audience. Uh, and, and then also because of the book's themes, I think also I'm just hearing from far more people. I'm not just hearing from people who are into poetry, for example, right? I'm hearing from people who are going through grief, which is, surprise, all of us. Or will <laughs> right. be. You know, I'm hearing from people who are like, oh my God, you know, um, the way you write about your mom, you know, was a was a big connection point for them. And then, of course, I'm so delighted to hear from queer people, especially Black queer people. So it's just like kind of both the scale and the range of opportunities for connecting to people. Um, it's it's just really different. Yeah, and when you, have you? Ha- and I'm assuming. Uh, I mean, I think I've even seen this. You've had you've had the opportunity to to do live events mm-hmm. in multiple yeah. cities. And yeah. who would you say is coming out to those events? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like every type question. of human? That's a fun question. Every type of human, pretty diverse. Um, you know, Trixie Mattel, I saw her talk about this. First of all, it's just, let's call it out. Gay men don't go to events. So <laughs> it's most of my audiences are women. I think they are definitely dominated by women. Um, and and then from there, it's pretty diverse. Um, I like to think that they're more diverse than most bookstore events. Um, but yeah, I would say overwhelmingly, I would say probably more than 50% of my audiences when I did my book tour, which was 19 cities were women. Um, wow. That is interesting. Is that cool? I, it is cool. I also feel like, wait, I have some follow-up questions. Okay. And I think maybe you were just going to say this. So demographics wise, um, most, I don't know. I'm like, this is based on a vague Mm-hmm. Like are like are black people coming to your events? Who's coming to your events? Yes, yes, and and I'm you know I'm gonna do like the paperback in the spring, and I want to go to like Atlanta and other cities. Um, yeah, black people come out. It was actually really cool. I mean, you know, um, where was I? Seattle. We did an event at like the Northwestern Museum of African American History, um, and someone was like, "This is the blackest audience we've had." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's sometimes so that's cool. I mean, you know, I think that's what you always kind of want whatever you're creating is to like bring together an audience for one night that the organizers are like, Oh wow. We haven't seen this. Like that's kind of always the goal. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know that that's the goal for everybody. I mean, that might be, that might be your, I think I actually think like, (laughs) I think you're maybe speaking to, you know, I certainly understand what you're saying. Um, but I think, I think that what you're speaking to is sort of, 
you know, influenced by the demographics that that you would maybe want to speak to is is not who's going to I mean, weirdly, I where was I? What was I doing in Seattle? Something. Oh, no, actually, this was Portland. I was in Portland and I was um, and I was I mean, this is just like this is such a tangential story, but somehow related. I was in Portland and I was I was there for like a, a big. I was there for a big conference giving like a keynote and there was a, a woman who was giving a his, a, a like, this is a history of black Portland, which first of all, ever I was like, oh, I was like, pl- like, please tell me the history of black Portland. And it was a, specifically about the actual land that the convention center that we were at that was built on, which I just had wow. no idea had been um, previously the black neighborhood. And this is a black woman. This is in Portland. I think when, you know, the, I have been to Portland enough times to know, of course, like all people live many different places, but certainly mm-hmm. the exported image of Portland right. is that it is the whitest yeah. place on earth. <laughs> no, right. Nobody it's is. No, I mean, you know, yeah. there's a long history about that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm imagining that like, say that woman might have um, been excited if like Powell's bookstore had a demographic that it didn't usually have. But I think totally. like, you know, yeah. the white guy that's walking around selling the white straight dude that's, you know, walking around uh-huh. selling his memoir is not necessarily thinking about the demographic that he brings in. Um, yeah. You know what? Now, you know where that gets me to? Actually, when I think about my ideal audience, the people who come to mind and that I aspire to draw in, it's the people who are like looking for their people. And like, yes, that is, you know, in Portland or Seattle, um, you know, is often going to be black people. I remember when I was in Seattle, actually, I, during that day before the event, a young woman stopped me on the street, a young black woman. She was like, I'm so sorry. I cannot come to the event tonight. I have to work. But she just and she just like talked to me about how much the book meant to her. You That's know? awesome. Like, I'm just so happy you're here. And, you know, like, I, you know, I was in Oxford, Mississippi, which is where Ole Miss is um, at Off Square Books. And everyone in the crowd there was like, yes, we need this. You know, people make all kinds of assumptions about us because we live in Mississippi and yes, all of this stuff is going on, but we're here and we're so happy you're here. So I think there's just this kind of, um, you know, and and to me, I come to it from queerness and and intersectionality. I just really resonate with people who are like, I've really been hoping to find my people, you know, Mm. and maybe this is the night, you know? Yeah, I also am curious because, and I get—I mean, maybe this is not even something you could speak to. I don't know, but if you're not seeing gay men at the events because mm-hmm. gay men maybe don't like attend the same type of event that, uh, like for instance, lesbians will go to a book event. <laughs> You're going to see some lesbians at a book event. Not, it does not I, matter what the book. Oh my god! Yeah. I did, and I didn't notice it until Tracy Mattel said it, and then my I had like a like a that's so raven flash in my brain where I was like, oh my god, because that's what Tracy said. She was like, Tracy goes, um, she was like, lesbians show up and they bring their friends, and then they're like, well, obviously we need to buy three or four copies of the book, and I, <laughs> and I would just see that over and over again. I mean, like in St. Louis, I remember meeting this um, black woman, um, and before the event started, and she was like, I'm so excited, and she was like, all of my friends are coming and sure enough it was like her and like eight of her girlfriends you know and um so i think you know it's and it's not to say that gay men aren't reading my books i think you know maybe information travels differently 
um, I, I find that gay men are like reaching out now. Like maybe they got the book as a gift. That's you know? what I was going to ask is yeah. if they're not coming to the events, are you hearing yeah. from men who have read it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, a lot. So yeah, but you're right. So I feel like women, I think have always been better at community. That's always been my experience in terms of LGBT people. I think queer women are good at coming together. And I think, you know, gay men, we're still men. So there's the solitary aspect. <laughs> to us and yeah so it's like gay men are like messaging me on instagram in a very heartfelt personal way um but it's usually like it's coming to them on a kind of one-on-one that's interesting way. well and i mean again this is like this is based on stereotypes and stuff but i also th- we are totally generalizing so, yeah everyone. massive massive generalizations <laughs> massive generalizations but um i also think maybe part of it is just the coupling of like bar culture and specifically the way that that tailors to gay men. Like given that lesbians don't really have usually the same, we don't have as many spaces in each mm-hmm. city. It like, maybe there's a lesbian bar or maybe there's a lesbian night. I think right. that the, the events that queer women or like non-binary folks and yeah. trans folks sometimes are in that social circle too are not necessarily like bar related events, which would make it like more of a book reading or whatever. Where like for gay dudes, it's there's another option that absolutely. I think that tracks. I do. And 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 shout out to to as you noted, like trans and non-binary people. I feel like students, just anyone who just like doesn't feel like totally comfortable in most of those rooms. And if we're thinking of uh, about LGBT people, chances are gay men are comfortable in more spaces. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, the rest of us kind of, you know, we get used to kind of seeking things out a little bit more. Well, because, that's, yeah. I'm so glad you just said that because that's what I was going to ask you is what type of event would you have gone to? Or like in your past, Ooh. your access to the queer community, like would you have been at this book event, whatever, 10 years ago, five minutes ago, if it wasn't you that wrote the book? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love a good conversation. I love a good conversation. I mean, listening to, you know, listen, listen to you and Carmen Maria Machado talk recently. I was like, oh, girl, to be in that room. You know, <laughs> I, just, I love, I love watching people just talk and, and uh, just that vibe that's possible. And um, when I was coming up, um, something I really struggled to find was connections with other queer people that weren't just about sex. I love sex. Sex is great. Um, no shame there and I won't make space for shame. But um, I was like, do we ever get to just like hang out? Uh, where the, where's the, the friendship? Where's the, you know, and I really struggled to find like mentors who like were trying to uh, have sex with me. <laughs> um, yeah. So I totally found myself gravitating towards kind of artsy cafes and yeah, I love that. Wait, let's talk about that part in your life. So where were you living? Like is... Where tell me about first of all where where you were a kid where were you growing up? Where I was a kid, so I grew up um, in the suburbs, decidedly suburbs. I literally lived on Main Street. Um, classic, <laughs> uh, yeah, classic, just off, uh, just north of Dallas, Texas. Um, very conservative. Um, you know, a lot of people ended up going on to you know Texas A and M. Um, the more liberal people went to UT Austin. If you want to get a sense of that, um, and and then I went to school in Kentucky. Um, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is actually Rand Paul's district, if you want some Ooh. context. <laughs> sure. <there. laughs> 
Um, and it's, it's just north of Nashville. Um, so, you know, a lot of my first gay bar experiences were in like Cedar Springs in Dallas. And, and then, you know, I went to some drag shows in Nashville and, and, and that was cool. Um, and yeah, but that was, sex was the easy part. I think in terms of finding a way to, to meet people, that was the entry point. But then I really, and you know, you see me grapple with this over the course of the book. I really struggled um, just finding gay friends um, because I think something we all learn queer or not early on when you're not a straight white man, it's not enough to just be like, oh, you're a black person. So we can be friends now, you know, it's, it's not enough to be like, oh, you're Muslim. So we're going to be best buddies. Right. You know, and, and, and the same is true, I think, with queer people. And so um, it took a while not just to find other queer people, but to find queer people I was vibing with, you know, really on a on the frequency that I've come to celebrate. So I didn't really have um, like the way I think now in terms of like, oh, we have our, like our group text and we have our girls and, you know, and all these circles of friends and we go on trips. That didn't happen to me really until about six years ago, maybe. On the generous side, took a long time. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm thinking about how, so like, yeah, maybe that's, maybe you're talking about 10 years or something like that, which is, yeah, which I'm sure feels I'm sure it feels super long. I mean, I th- I think like for me, I had maybe a different path, and and mm-hmm. because I didn't. So like when I was coming out, I was at a college where that wasn't that was not an identity that people could have openly, okay. right? So like I had my girlfriend that mm-hmm. was somebody I could be honest with, and then like mm-hmm. some of her friends, um, okay. and then I graduated from school, and but my friends were straight people, right? My friends were. My friends were, it was like, everybody was straight people. Even the people who were gay were then straight people, right? So then, (laughs) because that's what we had to be. Um, And then I graduated and I got into comedy like very immediately. And my second girlfriend had gone to Mount Holyoke, women's college, had this like queer group of friends who like dated each other and all played softball. You know, it was all very like, I just, I looked at it and I was like, this is amazing. But that still wasn't my life because I was in comedy. You know, I had access to her friends while we were dating, but mm-hmm. I was in comedy. And then my group of friends were, again, was were straight people. Um, mm-hmm. And I really didn't have my first group of queer friends like until, again, maybe a similar time to when you're talking about like six years ago for you is like 28 sort of a thing. And mm-hmm. I was I moved to Chicago, moved back home to Chicago right when I was about to turn 25. And like, it took me a couple years to find some queer people and then to find the queer people that I had as friends. And it's, it's a little strange because like, for me, this is the experience that the oldest Mm -hmm. friends that I have, Mm -hmm. like none of them are queer, you know? So like, so the friends that I have from high school or college or early in my professional career or anybody that knew what I was like at 22, none of those people are anybody who's going through the same stages in their life now. Like, because yes. those friends then all had kids and got married and bought houses on a different timeline because they right. had, you know, some access to like some different biology and some different, you know, everything. Totally. Um, yeah. Anyway. That's, that's such a, um, an interesting part, I think, of being queer is that, you know, we're always, I think, in tension with 
um, the timeline that our straight friends and family members are on. Like even when oh, we yeah. like, you know, explicitly like, no, I'm not on your clock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like whatever, yeah. you know, whatever. You can't help but notice. Um, but also, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I think it's not just about your identity. I think it's about when you come out. That's a huge deal. You know, did you come out in high school? Did you come out in college as I did? Um, did you come out after college? Um, and then like, how long did it take you before you were connecting with people and, and learning and ask, getting to have those conversations and, and, and um, experiences that were positively transformative? Because what I find is often a lot of gay men and myself included are like in an arrested development for for like almost a decade often both before and after they come out where anything beyond sex it's like they haven't even gotten to yet you know um, man i <laughs> this is like well. so interesting to me because i don't think that we talk about this very much i think mm-hmm. we talk a lot about like the delayed adolescence thing that happens when you come out later than like say your hormones first start to kick right. in like i think we talk mm-hmm. about that a lot but i yeah. don't think we talk about this sort of early queerness or or that can you know that even extending to 10 years like that yeah. decade of queerness that's about then trying to figure out how to like whatever come out create mm-hmm. space for yourself with your family create space with yourself right. at your job find mm-hmm. people to you know fuck like like yeah. those things that like friendship is really pretty Huge. like yeah. low on the sort of societal right. <laughs> scale of things that you know that we think are important I think so. And and I would to take it even further. Friendship is something I think about so much. And I'm always struck by how little we make space for honoring and thinking about platonic friendship among men in particular. Um, so I think it takes even longer for, for men to feel comfortable, you know, being proud to have a close friend because, you know, I mean, my best friend is uh, a straight white guy, Isaac. And, you know, when we first started getting close and, and really connecting in so many ways, everyone assumed that either he was closeted and gay or that I was sexually pining for yet another straight man. It's been known to happen. I don't <laughs> <laughs> that, like, it was just like, there's no way this can truly be a platonic friendship. You know, something had to be off. And it was like, no, we just, we just vibe. Um, and so I, I, I know, and I'm friends with, and I mentor so many gay men my age and younger, who they're surrounded by gay people. They're around each other all the time, but they never talk. They hang out, but they're only hanging out when they're at like horse meat disco or battle him. You know, they hang out to pregame, but I'm like, when's the last time y'all like went to lunch? Like just had a conversation with one another. Have you read a book with one another? These other, you know, um, metrics, I guess, for like, are you actually connecting or are you just kind of doing like a dancer from the dance revolving around each other. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of us kind of just revolve around other queer people without really being able to connect. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. 
lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Wow, I would love to ask you some more questions about this because this is really interesting to me. And I don't think it's actually something we've talked about on Query at all, ever, um, which is cool. You know, because I think oftentimes I talk about how um, for for queer women for or for people, you know, like that it, there's a different expectation in terms of um, patrolling masculinity. Mm. Like it's not that I'm not patrolled and I was mm-hmm. as a child patrolled. But women can play sports and that's like vaguely okay. It, mm. Like you still better not be gay, but you could like be good right. at soccer, you, <laughs> you know, like it's it. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So I just think there's like, there's a little bit more latitude. Plus mm. um, women can touch each other when they're friends and that's like a different thing. Sleepovers can happen and that's a different thing. There's like some more, there's just like a little bit more room. It doesn't mm. necessarily mean like life is amazing and we have right. other things to worry about mm. in terms of like dangerous situations, but the stuff that you're talking about, I've we've acknowledged a bunch on the show, but I don't think I've ever sort of heard somebody talk about what that looks like in adulthood. Like we've talked about it like for young men. Like yeah. like for instance, like do you hug your your dude friends? Oh my gosh, yes. And like what were you like for instance in this in this relationship with your with your best friend? Was that mm-hmm. always comfortable for you? Like were, was it always like you could be physically affectionate with this person? Yes, because he was. I, I, I think I remember him being like, oh, he's hugging me or his hands on my back again. I've <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> always been just very outgoing. And I think he's my friendship with him has freed me and liberated me in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I remember being hyper aware of it mm. um, because I, I wasn't initially comfortable that way. And now I, I do feel, um, you know, particularly with people I'm close to, I don't just hug everybody. I don't like like going up to strangers at events and stuff and I'm just immediately hugging them. But with close people in my life, yeah, I think that touch is important. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a language, you know, that I think we're lucky to have access to. Can you track in your life when, like prior to this relationship that made you more comfortable with it, like where that discomfort was coming from? Um, it came from the fact that, and you know, again, you know, I'm a, I think you and I are both a part of a kind of in-between generation. So like, I always tell people, I'm like, listen, Grinder doesn't come into the picture for me until I'm in graduate school. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like before that, it, everything was cruising. And right. so if, if it wasn't cruising, I just remember, here's an example. I remember being at summer camp in high school once um, at debate camp because I was a speech and debate nerd. It paid off. And um, I remember hearing that there was an out gay boy. Um, this is my junior year. And I guess he was a sophomore at the camp. And he was like in a different section. And it became my mission to find him. And I did. And we had sex <laughs> for the rest of the camp. We would intentionally get in trouble in our separate classes. Oh, my God. The camp so yes. that we would get sent to our rooms. And then we would just go meet up and have sex. And that was it. And I say that to say that for a long time, 
um, during my coming of age, if you discovered or heard rumor or tell of um, another gay boy around you, there were two options. Either you ran away from him or bullied him to distance yourself to protect your closetedness. Or you were like, let's hook up because you're a teenager. Yeah. And you're just so delighted to find someone <laughs> who maybe won't like beat you up. <laughs> right. You know, so it just takes a while, I think, to get past that, like, well, you're here, I'm here, so I guess we should have sex, to being like, maybe there's a different way that we can vibe. Um, so I think, you know, certainly it helped to move to the New York area when I was in graduate school and start meeting more people. Um, but yeah, by then I'm 21, 22 years old. And when you compare that to our straight friends, I mean, gosh, that's a, that's quite a delay. Yeah, it is. That's a really good point. I mean, the other things that I think about are like, for me, um, when it comes to physical affection, I can be pretty physically affectionate with, um, friends Mm -hmm. given that like, that seems to be something that they're okay with, but it's not, it is never lost on me that if this is a straight person and Mm -hmm. like now at the age I am now, this is less something that I'm concerned with, but like certainly, in the past, even more concerned that I don't want somebody to feel uncomfortable, which is like this right. weird internalized homophobia thing of like patrolling myself in terms of, mm-hmm. um, like, I don't love to h- hug, uh, strangers either, but I love to mm-hmm. hug friends and, right. and also felt very like, just to be super clear, like, you know, this is not <laughs> like, that's one thing, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. and then the other thing that has been really interesting for me in just the last couple of years, I have made some friends who are like my same gender because yeah. the other thing that is true for a long time, I found that like, even in friendships, there almost had to be like a this binary setup where it was like, like I was the like less or more masculine person. Uh And I, by the way, I have been both things in romantic relationships and in friendships. Like I've had, Mm -hmm. you know, but I have found that I tended to gravitate toward actually in friendships. I had tended to gravitate towards people that were more feminine than me. And like, I'd be like almost their like dude friend or whatever. That is Um, so interesting. Or I'm friends with a lot of, or I'm friends with a lot of straight men. Well, like for, for, Mm -hmm. I don't know, for a similar reason, but then straight men usually position me as a woman, even if in my head I'm positioning Mm -hmm. us as like, we're both bros. There's like, there'll be like some random conversation where they're like, actually my type is a lot like you or some random thing where I'm like, you're (laughs) kidding. What? That isn't what this is. You know, like it's it's like so so weird, but anyway. I mean, well, I guess I'll say that's interesting. I mean, as I'm going through, I'm kind of going through the Rolodex in my head. My straight cisgender male friends, all without fail, um, look, present very masculine. Yep. <laughs> intimidating. They tend to be the ones where you're like, they're covered in tattoos or they're really quiet or whatever. <laughs> totally. where, you know, where, you know, like if they're black, they're the black person that like the women are like grabbing their purses and like, you know, whatever, or, you know, shaved heads. So you're like, what's going on? And they're all the most sensitive um sweet gentle people you know um that's all of my straight male friends um gay friends i think i think i make space for more fluidity you know and you know i gotta say the other thing that was really transformative in my life is that for several years i launched and, and ran the um 
LGBT vertical at BuzzFeed, um, which is to say that, you know, I had this very relatively unique experience. Very few of us get to have a job where our job is to think about our identity full time in a really substantive way. And I think that really, um, and that was my my late 20s, early 30s, um, that kind of opened me up to really thinking um, a little differently and taking risks and trying to connect with people that I might not expect. So I think now I find myself, I don't know, I think my queer friend group I would like to think is a little bit more fluid than straight people. Straight people, I'm very simple. I'm like, I don't have a lot, <laughs> I don't have a lot of bandwidth for y'all. Yeah, <laughs> we got a friend type. I know, I know. It is funny. I have a little bit of a friend type too. I mean, but yeah. but here's the thing I will say that is, mm-hmm. and I want to ask you some more questions about BuzzFeed mm-hmm. in a second. That's where we'll go sure. next. Um, but one thing that is, So I have this, like, very beautiful relationship right now in my life. Mm -hmm. I have a close friend who, like, like, really, like, kind of calls me, like, brother. Like, almost, like, it's, like, Mm -hmm. like, there's, like, a very, like, like, there's a very, I have, like, a dude friend that is a woman. Like, I have, like, a, like, we have, like, we, like, are, like, equal amounts, um, masculine and both have short hair and both, like, kind of wear the same shirts. And I had to do, like, a very tough this person is also a sweetheart and I had to do like a tough thing where um I was sharing a dog with my ex and then that was no longer working for our dog and I had to like do this terrible thing of like turning the dog over you know like that was my choice but it was such a sad day oh it was awful and I had this friend come over because they are a dog owner themselves and like I went downstairs and like you know turned the dog over and like walked upstairs and this person gave me like this really giant like long hug and even in this moment of like total sadness and like feeling really heartbroken and I was really struck by how um you know I think even for for you know I fully identify as a woman and even Mm -hmm. for me like masculinity is so performative and so it's such a complicated thing that like, I don't think I often hug people that mm. are displaying the same amount of masculine without like a, without like a backslap to just like right. take, you know, to undercut, yes. we all like, oh, like a quick backslap, oh you know, like, God. like hug, yeah. but then like boop, boop. And you're like, don't uh-huh. take any of that seriously. Cause it was a slap at the end, you know? Right. Um, and it just wow. was like a very long hug mm-hmm. and it was, um, it was like a really beautiful moment that I, I will remember for a really long time. And I'm really enjoying this friendship. And it's weird it. to me that it's happening now and giving me perspective that this hasn't been something I've always had. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, the relationships change as we change, you know, and we connect to one another in different ways. Yeah, that's, that's right. What that got me, what may actually be more telling for me than even touch um is because I have a background in performance. And so I think I'm a little bit more like, oh, well, you know, it's what I realized, compliments. Oh, My compliments, tell me. How I give and receive compliments are totally gendered. Absolutely gendered. Oh, if yes. a thin person or a woman gives me a compliment, I, I receive it, I give it, I say, thank you, I'm fully present. Um, the more masculine my relationship not necessarily the person but the more masculine my relationship is with a um man or someone who identifies you know as a man um the more likely i have to undercut it with a backhand immediately it's really difficult a friend of mine for example that i'm very close to and and he's um gay and, and pretty masculine 
he asked me to read his new book and, you know, and he was like, if you really like it, would you blurb it? And I read it and I loved it. And I wrote, you know, uh, I wrote my thing. I, I wrote the praise for the book, you know, it's what we writers do. Um, and I sent it to him and he was moved and he thanked me. And my immediate actual reaction was shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, I was like, I will punch you. Like, if you say another word. <laughs> yeah, I totally and, get it. Yeah, it's really hard. So, and it's something I'm working on. But yeah, it's Isaac is the only one that like he says something sweet and it's it's fine. But otherwise, like if I give a compliment oh or someone God. gives me a compliment and they're like, if we're dude vibing, I have to kind of like punch them in the stomach. You know what I get? I'll tell you what makes me what puts me in that space of like punching somebody in the stomach mm-hmm. metaphorically is yeah. um, the word beautiful. Very complicated relationship mm-hmm. with the world with the word beautiful. Yeah, it's a complicated word. Yeah, mm-hmm. like um, I feel if somebody uses the word attractive or hot with me, mm-hmm. first of all, I'm not even saying like. Also, sometimes people are, don't like how I look at all. So this is not like whatever. <laughs> But let's imagine that we're in a world where somebody's complimenting me. Let's just imagine that world. I live in that world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So (laughs) let's imagine that we're in a world where that's true. If somebody's like, you look attractive, you look hot, whatever. I that feels so fine with me, and I can like kind of deal with that in a way that makes me feel chill. If somebody says the word beautiful to me, it, I. I don't not want to hear it, first of all, because mm-hmm. there's there's a world where I would not at all want to hear it. And I'm like, this feels really undercutting to me or like you're not seeing me as a person. That is not true. It's just that it makes me so uncomfortable. Like I have to get very I don't know. I have to I have to make a transformer mm-hmm. set of like and then like turn into some sort of car and drive the fuck away. Like I cannot. It is. I'm very uncomfortable wow. standing there for that. I don't it's see a complicated word. I mean, it's yeah. very gendered. It's very yeah. gendered. Yeah. And it feels like maybe there's a standard of femininity there that I don't feel like I've ever been able to live up to. And almost seems like an insult in some way. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. I've had somebody say to me, well, but men can be beautiful. And right. by the way, or, you know, or like non-binary folks, like other people, you know, it, mm-hmm. and I would be fine with that word being used for some dude. And then for mm-hmm. me, very complicated. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm like, I love yeah. It. I, so that's I, I, the I'm, somebody's saying you're beautiful. I'm like, Sh- shut up, <laughs> shut up, get out of here, shut up. And why did you? I can't believe you. And fuck you. <laughs> but also, can you say that one more time? <laughs> one more time. Just put a little. <laughs> let me see if I can hear it now. <laughs> shut up again. But let me. Tr- but try again. Give it me again. <laughs> can you text it to me? Yeah, you text it. <laughs> Yeah, it truly is like I'm following a script, but I cannot keep my line straight. Like, okay, give it to give me, give me to one more time. Beautiful, beautiful. Fuck you, fuck you. Lights fall down on set. Anyway, that's very, it's very complicated. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you you were talking for a second about BuzzFeed and you know the timing of when you specifically were involved in BuzzFeed. I mean, I think BuzzFeed still exists in. Um, like it's still existing as a credible news source in a way that maybe it wasn't in the past, which is interesting. And obviously there's mm-hmm. still like employees and studio stuff, but you were really working there at a time when it was kind of unparalleled in its um, importance. It is on the, everything. On it, I yeah. Mean, I, ooh, I was employee, you know, and you don't 
really realized, you know, and I, you know, I, I left BuzzFeed um, in May of 2019. Um, so in some ways you don't realize kind of the phase you're in until it's over. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, mean, I, I started, I interviewed in uh, November, 2012. Um, and I started, we launched BuzzFeed LGBT in January, 2013 for, um, this is, this is right. This is the um, month of Beyonce's very first Super Bowl performance. Oh my gosh. If you think about how many damn times she's performed. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Her very first. Um, and that was a really uh, important performance. <laughs> it was, it changed all of us, changed all of us. Um, but I was employee like 139, I believe at BuzzFeed. Wow. We didn't have an HR department at the time, like for example. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and the site yeah. itself launched in like. It, it, I mean, the site had, you know, cause it was kind of Jonah Peretti's like kind of little experimental space. Right. Um, but Ben Smith, who actually today announced that he's leaving. I don't know if you've seen this. No, I didn't. Uh, but Ben Smith announced today that he's leaving at editor-in-chief, which I think kind of fully closes the era of the way we thought about BuzzFeed News. Yes. Um, but he started uh, in the midterm elections, the lead-up to the midterm elections of 2012. So, yeah, uh, it was incredible. I mean, you know, I, I was thinking today about, you know, Ben hiring me and, and mentoring me. I mean, I was a poet. I had taught high school. Um, and I was really struggling with grief um, and had no newsroom experience whatsoever when he hired me. Um, but I had a lot of ideas and I was really passionate about Twitter. Um, I've been on Twitter since 2008. Um, and he brought me into the space and um, really saw through all of my insecurities because I was like, I didn't go to journalism school. And he was like, that's great. You know, <laughs> I was like, what? Wow. Okay. And he would just like, let me experiment and develop these ideas and that went for me like launching the LGBT vertical to you know we ended up having like a full desk with reporters and writers and editors and then I was a culture editor and you know working with culture writers and I got to work with all different kinds of teams under that auspice we created a fellowship program for emerging writers um and then you know right around the time that I was like well I guess I've done literally everything here I can do i I'm run out of ideas. We launched the morning show yeah. and I hosted it with my best friend with Isaac for two years. Um, and then that was, I guess about six years in total crazy ride. Yeah. I mean, I can, I cannot even imagine. I mean, I will just say my involvement in the thing was just like, I'd made some videos for early Buzzfeed that were here in LA. So I like saw that sort of setup. Then I had a couple experiences where like I was in New York for random things and like shooting photo shoots with the LGBTQ vertical. Then I was on AM to DM with you one time. So like, I feel like there's, I had like a little bit of just a watching the thing from popping into different locations over a span of a bunch of different years. And that seemed like a wild um, (laughs) engine to be inside of just because like you really were making many people's like, cause for instance, YouTube Mm -hmm. was sort of still, you know, the wild West and people are bringing like their own production to things as opposed to like YouTube is a platform as opposed to Buzzfeed being uh, a corporation. Um, Mm -hmm. And still people were launching from within there. You know, people right. had like were creating their own brands that then they were taking elsewhere. I don't think there's a really yeah. another a comp for that yeah. in the like internet space. Absolutely. I mean, I you know, I think years from now we will look back and 
so many things that we probably have come to take for granted in the way we think about being online and media um, have, BuzzFeed has a hand in it, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I would say in terms of how things change, it went from me being like, well, this is total chaos. Like when I got there, it was absolute chaos. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Who are you people? Um, and and what? where are the Black people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. Zero diversity when I started, and then and then um, and then it became the space of truly joyful chaos. It did become the most diverse uh, workplace I've ever worked at that I've ever met. It's the most. It's still the most diverse workplace I've ever visited. I will say, um, and you know, and it was like if you had a good idea, it was so wonderful. I would be at meetings, and I would like if an intern came into the room with a good idea if Ben Smith, the editor-in-chief, or Shawnee Hilting, manager editor, or Ben Smith heard it, you know, um, you could act upon it. It didn't matter, you know? And so we were all kind of just going for it, and it was, you know, a fun place to work. Um, I remember, I won't name names, but I remember a reporter coming um, to BuzzFeed from the New York Times, which is ironic, and um, it was like, she'd been there for like a couple of weeks, and she was like, I just figured out what's so different. She was like, I've just been looking at people, and I haven't been able to figure out, like, there's something going on. And I was like, what? And she was like, people here are smiling. Oh, fuck. The joyless New York Times. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then, of course, I mean, the last few years we've seen it, you know, it all changes. You know, the it it's um, it's hard to sustain these spaces, which is natural. Like that change is a part of it. But I think right now we're in a space of like contraction mm-hmm. and it kind of feels like a lot of those opportunities Um are not are not quite there anymore. That experiment experimentation, that go for it, you know, kind of spirit. It's not quite as um, possible, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that mirrors a lot of stuff that we saw in television and media at the time, which was just like, wait, what if we put a little bit of money everywhere? What will happen? Right. And then I think eventually that got so big where it was just like, what if we put a little bit of money everywhere? That and that really became everywhere and then people are like oh what happens is eventually the money runs out like that's like just kind of the but for a while i think everybody was doing that you know and 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 then it sort of had to like you're saying it had to sort of people had to just like kind of cut their losses for a while and then we'll see you know what happens next from here right now everywhere television film everything is like oh wait we can't just make everything indie Mm -hmm. because we need like a bottom line advertisers and Totally. A board and all that shit. And it's so frustrating because, like, for media, like, if you think of newsrooms, um, that experimental time is when, we, for the first time, we had multiple LGBT outlets yeah. covering queer news and culture, you know? That yeah. was so awesome. And now you look and they're all basically gone. It's It's over, you know? I mean, it's fucking true. I think that that's, I mean, again, just looking elsewhere it really does feel like there was a moment where you know from where i stand as a as a comic it feels like there's a there was like whoa everybody and then it's just like white men you know like it's like uh-huh. like it's uh-huh. like and and so you know the that's just going to it's like a it's like a bubbling up and it's not going it to all it's not going to all happen it's not actually a straight line it's a bubbling up and things are going to ch- change incrementally and they're going to be huge swings 
and then there's going to be some backsliding. So we're in like this place of backsliding. backsliding. And the one thing that I would add is that what's really annoying is that the white men who were there before, (laughs) they're mostly still there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of us kind of have to do the best we can. Yeah. When everybody was like, everybody's coming in and taking our jobs. It was like, it was like, actually, we just created parallel jobs that ran into a wall. Like there was, Mm -hmm. your job was still there the whole time. Um, It was just for a little while there was other jobs, but you know, we'll see how it all, I mean, I guess what we'll do is some of us will just go and like write really big books and you know, like that, well, that'll just be <laughs> like, just as a side gig, like just That's as a side gig. You know? um, I want to talk about where you are living right now and yeah. the, the sort of decision around this and, and how you're doing and what that experience is. So talk to me about where you are calling in from. Sure. So I am calling in from my apartment in Columbus, Ohio. I moved here last fall, um, actually right before the book uh, tour and everything started. I moved here in September and I just love it. Um, I actually came here, BuzzFeed sent me here for a work trip in 2018 for the morning show. We did like a road trip um, series. And I'd been in the city once before for like Pride. They had me do a poetry reading um, here in Columbus in like 2012. So I remember being like, there's a weirdly large number of gay people in Columbus. I knew that. Um, but then I came back here last year and I think I was aware that I was ready to start thinking about what came next. Um, I always want to be the person who can leave on my own terms. I'm not trying to have anybody turn the lights off on me. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I, was, I was just here and I just, I don't know. I, I like the energy. I travel so much for work. And so I, I don't feel... I, I figured that even if I got to Columbus and it wasn't perfect, that it would be okay because I travel all the damn time anyway, frankly. Um, but then I got here and I just love it. I love it so much. So you, is there any other specific reason you chose Columbus? Like you just got, you went there, you loved it. Is there some, like, what is the, like, what's the um, housing like, market like right there? Like, is it, are you crushing crazy. it in terms of your apartment? Oh <laughs> like, my God. My apartment is the nicest apartment I've ever lived in. And also one of the most affordable. Um, Columbus is on a real upswing in terms of, and this is complicated, um, but in terms of development and it's kind of national profile, um, I think, um, as someone who grew up in Texas, I kind of remember the way there was a time when people would be like, Oh yeah, Austin. Yeah. That cute little, college town down there it's all right and now we're like oh my gosh or or nashville Mm -hmm. five or six years ago and i think columbus is on that trajectory and um that's interesting Um, there are a lot of artists here i keep running into wonderful artists rachel wiley uh, as a poet hanifa durkeeb um my friend eloisa just so many writers or maggie smith um, another poet are here and thriving so that got my attention there are a lot of illustrators and visual artists who find this place uh like affordable so i was like okay that's interesting so kind of was like i was looking at other writers that I think of as friends or peers um, have happily lived here for some time now. And I was like, oh, that's dope. Um, and there's a lot of Black people here, which I love. Um, and I like the diversity. Didn't expect to like college football, but I'm all in. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> cool. Fuck yeah. yeah Great. It's like, you know, it's, it's all, I mean, you know, I think I just, felt like New York and New York media, which are not one and the same, but are very related. I felt that contraction. I kept thinking, and I would say this to Isaac, I was like, dude, I think it's last call. 
Like mm. I don't, I, whatever's happening, it's not just happening at this company. It's happening across the industry and I'm exhausted. I'm proud of what I did, but I'm really tired, you know? So the first thing was that I was just looking for a place where I felt like I could catch my breath and where I didn't feel like I was constantly treading water. And, you know, at the point that I was at in New York City, I was, you know, very well compensated. I was doing great. I was living the dream, you know, like the the queer black kid who gets the fancy job at the media company and da, 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 and has the apartment. And I, I could barely breathe. You know, I felt like I was about a few months from disaster, to be honest. Um, and then I came to visit here and I could just like feel myself breathing for the first time in a long time. Um, and so I came back by myself um, last summer and stayed for two weeks because I was like, okay, everybody can have a good weekend, you know? Um, and I just saw, and I, I realized that I was writing more. I was sleeping better, waking up like at a better hour. Like all of, there was just a, a rhythm, you know, that I, I felt um, that's continued to be true. And listen, it's not perfect. Um, you know, the city has a lot to, a lot of work to do, frankly, in terms of the way the police department treats black people. Um, you know, gay men are really, really happy here. Trans people don't feel the same way. Um, you know, so that that work as the city is kind of taking off um, is kind of something I'm interested in and want to focus on. But it feels um, manageable. And it feels like um, I'm not a total stranger here. And there is something to be said for the Midwestern nice thing. People are actually quite nice, which is sweet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I, you know what? I, I get it. Like, I get I mean, the funny thing about L.A. is that it it is a place where you can kind of if you can relax enough and mm -hmm. not feel like you're competing with every fucking billboard that is happening around you, you can kind of find a very expensive small town here. Right. Um, and in the last couple of years, that's what I have been exploring is that very expensive small town. I wish it, you know, I mean, but it, it's. To say that, that that it's a small town without acknowledging that it is a very expensive small town right, is fucking right. stupid. So so yeah. but but the vibe of like going to bed earlier or um prioritizing your health, that can exist here. It's just like other shit also exists here that makes right. that really complicated and you have to choose it every day and you have to kind yeah. of feel okay with the path that you're on. Um and I don't know if that will always work for me, but I do know that right before I moved to LA, I was trying to decide whether to go to New York or Los Angeles um, mm. from Chicago. And I didn't think I could stay in Chicago and like be able to afford a couch, which I, that was like, that was like where I was, I was like, I would like to have a couch, you know? So yeah. Um, but New York just felt very, um, it felt like a pace that would give me a heart attack because I'm a very intense person. So I was that like, it's same. like, you know, I'm intense. The city can't be intense. I you found that- right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have found that there are other things um, to try to deal with. Like, okay, well, if the city's not intense, and LA can be very intense, but I just mean if the city's calm and I'm intense, then fuck, it just means I actually have to do some work on me as opposed to like expecting the city to be, to relax me. Like, I think that's right. kind of what I thought. Right. I'm like, everybody oh. does yoga there. That will affect yeah. me. It's like, no, no, you kind of gotta, you have to do the yoga or whatever. <laughs> you know, like, I also <laughs> I mean, also, I just never wanted to live in a place where I need a car, so that also changes thing, things. Um, but also, like, I just... Oh, you don't have a car in Columbus? No, I've never wanted to own a car. And, I, and, and it's very clear. I mean, I grew up with a mom, you know, we lived paycheck to paycheck, and watching my mom 
struggle to maintain and you know take care of the car it was traumatic it really shaped me so i remember actually being in the eighth grade visiting new york or seventh grade visiting new york and when i realized that there were these places you could live without a car i was like oh that's that's what i want to do for the rest of my yeah, life yeah so, i hear that but uh, the other thing something i think about is i just start to feel like as a queer kid who grew up in north texas and was like i got to get the hell out of here in order to be myself I'm in this space where I really want us to start thinking about how we can reclaim um, the swaths of this country <laughs> that we have been made to feel are untenable for us. Like, like it's, I, I think it's so frustrating that rightly um, and also wrongly, like, you know, queer people, I think, often feel like we have about like four options of places mm-hmm. to live in the whole country. And I hate that. It's not fair. It's not right. It's also not sustainable, right? Because everybody can't be in Chicago, um, L.A., San Francisco, New York. You know, it, it's not going to work, you know. And um, and I think that was, you know, something that I, not that I was, like, trying to prove something to myself, but I've always appreciated um, seeing queer people make community in places where when I was younger, I was like, there's no way I could be happy here. You know, yeah, and, and so, I love that. Yeah, like, these these queens are fierce, you know, in in Baton Rouge or whatever. I, I've always had a soft soft spot for that, so maybe that's part of it too. Yeah, actually, you know what we we share that um, feeling. I I know what you're talking about a little bit, just from. I mean, I was in yesterday. I was in Salt Lake City, um, and that is well, that is a complicated place for a couple reasons. Uh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I was, I'm nodding. I was, I know I was, I just was, I just was like flashing back to a conversation that I had with somebody. There was like a person who wasn't a Mormon who was, um, I was, who was driving me to the airport at one point and was telling me that like, you know, we don't have a lot of black people here in Utah. And I was like, right, because you couldn't be in the Mormon church and be black until 1978. And also, why would you join after that? You know what I mean? Anyway, he's like, we don't have a lot of black people, but, but the church has done great outreach to like. Uh, like folks in like the Pacific Rim. And so we have a lot of other, and I was like, by outreach, do you mean like colonialism? You mean like in my own mind, you know, I'm just like, I'm trying to get to the airport, but in my mind, I'm doing like some translating, like outreach, right, 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 outreach, right. Um, But, but I was there, it was their first show on a Sunday night and Mm -hmm. sold like 400 tickets. And this was at a venue that was like, we don't, we don't even do Sunday shows usually because people don't come. And, you know, but a queer community, 400 tickets, 400 tickets on a Sunday night in a town that like, you can't even get alcohol in the same place that serves food. There's like really complicated, like, like, it's just the whole thing. Like that to me is, and they gave me a standing ovation when I walked out. Ah, Like I hadn't even said a word. You and haven't it, even done anything yet. They're yeah, like, we know. They're like, we can't believe you're here. But, like, <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm always like, I know you're here. You know, I went to the LGBT right. center, um, uh-huh. which is called the Utah Pride Center. And okay. to just like go and see what it was like. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just. I love that. I look Don't at. Like real, oh, you go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I look at folks who are in that you know, who are in those places and I'm, you know, I just, I'm like, I know, I know you're here and Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm special because I'm not, because like, it's, it's a set of opportunities that happen for me or choices or whatever. Like I too was raised really in a conservative religious place in a, you know, I, 
there's a lot of reasons that this could be me. Now I'm a white person, so I can say that about you, Tom. <laughs> but but um, <laughs> but you know, it's um, I think it's amazing when queer it folks is. decide to to stay. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's a um, there's an energy I think queer people one the queer people who've decided to stay, but also the queer people like me who are like I don't know I'm just here it just kind of happened in in seemingly unexpected places. Um, there's a uh, like I can, kind of like at the beginning of this conversation this kind of seeking spirit. Um, whereas I think when you know when I lived in San Francisco briefly or when I was living in New York for a decade, I was always um, a bit surprised by the kind of um, laziness I would find Um, because, you know, there's so many LGBT people in in those major metropolis areas. People don't really work hard to find their tribe. They don't really work hard to connect or cultivate. They don't really think about like, how can I contribute to this scene? You know what I mean? And I I love that here, you know, there's a bookstore that I can walk to from my apartment, just a five, six minute walk. And I walked by and they were like, we have an LGBT book club. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'll come. You know, there's there's the spirit of people realizing that it's not just going to happen, that community is something you actually do, you know? And, And I like feeling that I'm living with other people who are aware of that and don't take it for granted. You know, whereas in New York, it's just like, whatever. <laughs> that is really beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Book club moment. Yeah. Well, friend, believe it or not, we are at our moment of, we, we did, did it. it. Oh my gosh. We, we got to the end of the thing. And I want to ask you to shout out a queero. Um, the oh person, gosh. place, or thing made you feel like you could be who you are today. Yeah, I mean, so this 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 actually is a scene in my memoir that I think of so fondly. Um, my queer is a group of women. It was, um, when I was a senior in high school, I wasn't out to my mom yet, but some friends of hers were lesbians, um, uh, a couple um, and, and another friend of theirs, and they were all adults. And I, they took me to a drag show. And it must have been early evening because the sun was still up in Dallas. So it wasn't like a late night, whatever. But I remember we went to a drag show and they took me and we had so much fun. And I was just overwhelmed. I'll never forget the the drag queen doing a Janet Jackson number. I couldn't take my eyes off of her and I was both terrified of her too. Um, But it was the first time I remember being around other queer people. And like I said before, it was just totally platonic community. And and I remember at one point I went, I got up to go use the restroom and like a true stud, um, one of them stood up and was like, I'm going to go with with you to make sure you're safe. That's right. And I, and I was like, Oh my God, thank you. And I just felt, I felt taken care of and I felt at home and, and, you know, for a long time at that point, I just associated being gay with being alone or lonely. I just thought that's what it meant, that I would always have to figure things out on my own. And then here are these women kind of looking out for me. And so I felt like that was a um, that was a breakthrough moment in my life. And I think I a lot of what I do now, hopefully, is kind of in response to it. Those are my, my queeros. Wow, I love that. And I, yeah, that's right. It doesn't, it does not mean that you have to do it alone. And I'm so and you glad. Can. Yeah, you can't. It's impossible. I'm so I'm so glad we had a chance to talk. Thank you so much for making time. And I'm so Thank glad you. that you are loving your life in Columbus and oh you God. deserve that. Come visit us anytime. Yeah. Uh, you're the best. You're yeah, the best. you bet. I really I really hope I see you soon in person. 
And I love that. huge congrats. Mwah. Thank you. Yeah. Mwah. Bye. <laughs> Bye.